Lucky you. 36 you best holes in golf. Alternate Shots Podcast. Barney's Army. Where we talk about Sandy. golf. Poker. James Bond. Horse racing. Double. Classic movies. Zenyatta. We have no script. Down the stretch they come. We are glad you joined us. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. <laughs> you know, I've said it a million times that if, if Craig would have never hired Paul Harmer in 1941, the only place you'd have ever read our names was in the phone book. Everything started for the Harmon family that day. But a story that will uh, add to that is Craig Wood told me that when he hired dad, he asked my dad, what type of player you want to be? And he said, well, I want to be like you. And we called him Uncle Craig. And Uncle Craig said, uh, well, the way you hold on to the club and that snap hook you hit, you won't get out of Westchester County. <laughs> and so my dad, which was true, he said, well, I love the game. I'll do whatever it takes. And Craig Wood said, yeah, well, a lot of people say that, but when the improvement doesn't come right away, they'll retreat back to what feels good. And he said, your father got mad at me and said, I'll do what it takes. And so he did do what it took. He always told us that Craig taught him how to swing and he, or he changed his swing and Hogan taught him how to play. Because when they played at Seminole back in the 40s, when Hogan would go down there for the, the month before the Masters, they, they played a game where you threw $10 in the hat if you missed a fairway or missed a green. So when you play that game with Ben Hogan, you better be pretty good. Wow. And $10 was a lot of money back in the 40s. And so the year that dad won the Masters, he said he actually beat Hogan more than Hogan beat him that in that stretch. So when he got to Augusta, <clears throat> he had a certain sense of confidence that he, he, I mean, he always said Hogan made him feel like an amateur, not personally, just, you know, how good he was. But he said that that month before Augusta, he felt like he was, he was pretty good. But, and then I also have a photo in my uh, office at the club of the very first uh, master's champions dinner it was called the organization meeting. It's written on the, on the, and dad is, uh, they've got all the champions and Bobby Jones and Cliff Roberts and dad is standing up and Craig Wood and a few other guys were kneeling down in this picture. And Craig just by coincidence was kneeling under dad. So I said to dad one time, did you ever need a uncle Craig? <laughs> about him telling you that you weren't going to be any good. Now you're at the champions dinner with him at Augusta. And dad said, yeah, I needled him. I, I uh, named my second son, Craig Wood Harmon, because had Craig Wood not told me the truth, I'd have never been any good. And think of that lesson nowadays. You know, if, a, uh, if an older guy tells a young person the truth, we get him thrown in jail for abuse. <clears throat> so his feeling was that because Craig Wood leveled with him and that he did love the game and he did work at it, he said, I needled him. I named my son Craig Wood Harm. Your dad that played with Hogan in the Masters and had a hole-in-one on number Yeah, that 12. story's been told incorrectly forever. <clears throat> and I've never um, uh, stopped people when they tell it. Because I know the gist of it is Hogan's, you know, fanatical concentration. But I was... Uh, at my club about four years ago out here, wonderful club. And there was a guest at another table for some reason telling that story. And I didn't like the guy, he was a hot dog. 
And I said, you know what? I'm gonna jack him up on this story. I'm tired of hearing the wrong story. I'm gonna tell him the real story. And I said, you know, that's a great story, but it's not true. He said, well, I got it on, you know, really great information. I said, do you really? I said, well, I got mine on pretty good information too. <laughs> he goes, well, where'd you get yours from? I said, the guy that made the hole in one. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> so I'll tell you the real story. The real story is dad did make one. It was a 47 masters. And they'd been playing every day at Seminole in the practice round. Hogan hit it on the green. It's already been substantiated that he didn't make two. I've seen a leaderboard where it said he made three, which goes along with dad's story. So Hogan never did say a word. Uh, walking across the bridge, uh, dad picked the ball out of the hole, way back to the crowd, whatever. And Hogan two putted, made a three. So he didn't make two and say his first time ever made a hole in one. And walking to the 13th tee in a barely audible voice, he said, nice shot, Claude. So now wow. uh, my mom and Valerie were good friends and uh, they had dinner that night. So the two sports psychologists showed up, Johnny Dewars and Jack Daniel. And dad was probably one of the few people that could needle Ben. And he needled Hogan. He said, you know, Ben, I just made ace there on 12 today. You didn't give me much, you know? And Hogan peered over the table and he says, you were lucky to get that because your hole in one didn't help me one damn bit. <laughs> so the end of the story in the dinner actually is even more fun. So I finally told the story to people, the one that dad told me. And I've never corrected people because it wouldn't be my, but I didn't like this guy. He acted like he knew everything. When somebody acts, some people will tell me stories about dad that I just simply know are not true. I hear stories about me that aren't true. Unfortunately, some of them are true, which I'll own up to. But uh, that one, this guy was such a hot dog that I said, you know what? I've had enough of this. I'm going to tell the real story. So that's the real story that he told me, you know, and we ended up talking about dad and Wingfoot and everything. And Craig said something very interesting. I, I said, I have a picture of uh, dad played with Hogan the last round of the open in 59. And it's a picture taken probably from the front uh, right of the tee. So it was Hogan and his follow through. You saw the clubhouse in the back was beautiful. And dad was there leaning on his club. I now know that dad shot 70 and beat Hogan by six shots finished third, lost by two. And I tried to imagine any other club pro in the world that could have done that. Let's say they were on the last tee with uh, Tiger Woods with a chance to win the Open. They were going to beat Tiger by six. And I thought about how comfortable he must have been, you know, to do that. Because he wasn't, he was 43 or four years old. He wasn't playing any tournaments. And Craig said something interesting. I'd never heard this. He said, well, dad must have thought he was one of them. Right. So when he played with Hogan or Snead or some of the better players, he knew that they were, you know, better than him for the most part. But he didn't think that if he played good, he couldn't beat them, you know. So he must have felt that I'm kind of one of them. So is a great tribute to his coach, Randy Smith in Dallas, who teaches a lot of good players and he doesn't get enough credit for it. Because in many ways, he's a lot like Butch. He doesn't change. Uh, that's what we were brought up. I tell people all the time that our father, um, I always thought dad was kind of an uneducated genius. He just saw the world through a different lens. And 
he would tell us that when you work with a good player, figure out why their swing works, not what's wrong with it, because they wouldn't be good if they had a bad swing, see? And uh, in the Anderson, there was a guy, I think he was from Long Island. He was the most unlikely looking good player you ever saw. Hit all these big swinging hooks out there. My dad loved to watch him play. His name was Gene Francis. Yes. And he had his own little swing and he was a little guy, didn't look athletic at all. And he was the one guy my father loved to watch in the Anderson. And I said, why do you like watching him? He said, because I saw him hit it stiff to the back right pin on eight West with a hook one day. And that's, <laughs> wow. he said, and that's humanly impossible to do. So he had so much talent. So dad would love watching talent. And when I would go out and sit in the cart with him and watch him, he'd say, now here's a guy that you, you should never change his swing because he hits every shot the same. And so I think we didn't really know it at the time that we were gonna be teachers. But if you look at Dustin Johnson, you know Butch didn't change that bowed left wrist because our father had a bowed left wrist. So you can't tell if you go to a tour event who Butch teaches because he doesn't have a system. Right. You know? Other teachers, you can, other players you can say, you know, Sean Foley teaches this guy or Hank Haney teaches that guy or Ledbetter taught this guy. But the, the foundation and the groundwork was put into place by, by Claude Harmon. And I'm sure he, he learned it, all, a lot of this stuff from Craig Woods. You know, dad had already finished, got to the semifinals of the PGA in 45. Yep. And, and he got beat by Nelson in the middle of Nelson's 11 in a row. And so uh, that seemed to be something that kind of just uh, stuck with him that I must be a reasonable player if I'm going toe to toe with Ben Hogan and occasionally beating him, you know? Well, in 48 is when he, uh, that's probably the one in 48 where uh, dad beat Snead in 42 holes. And uh, that story is interesting because in the morning, dad shot 64 and was six up back to, can you imagine a club pro playing Tiger in the world match play and, and having him six down after, you know, it's not gonna happen. And so, and then dad birdied the 19th hole in the afternoon to go seven up. And then uh, Sneed played the next 17 holes and eight under. To, so now they're on the, have you guys heard this story? No. no I so dad was a, uh, uh, because of Hogan, he, he learned to chart his way around the course. So the, the first hole had two fairway bunkers out there about 250. So in the qualifying and all the matches, he'd hit a one iron and a nine iron on the green. So now Snead has, you know, made this incredible comeback. And Snead takes out a driver and he said he hits this thing. Not only would he carry the bunkers by 50 yards, but it was right down the middle. This most beautiful drive you ever saw. And I'm standing there with a one iron. You know, I'm like <laughs> David and Goliath now. <clears throat> so I go back to my bag and I get my driver and I tee it up. And he says, I don't know what came over me, but I said to myself, you know what? I qualified 36 holes. I think that year he beat three major champions to get to Sneed. You know, I made it this far with the great Sam Sneed. I'm going to stick to my game plan. So he went back and put the driver back at the one iron, one iron, nine iron, 20 feet. And he said, Sam played the most beautiful pitch shot you ever saw about three feet from the hole. And back then they played stymies. And by sheer luck, my dad missed his putt and it left Sneed a stymie. He couldn't putt at the hole. So I said, what, what would you do in that instance? 
uh, you know, just concede a half. He said, no, you got to make the great Sam Snead put it out sideways and then give it to him. Just to, <laughs> you got you to embarrass him a little bit. <clears throat> so they got to the 42nd hole. This is another, he must have felt like he was one of them stories. So they both had about 25 footers. Snead was getting ready to putt. And my dad says, I don't think you're away. Now, how many guys would do that? <laughs> Club pros, you know? And Snead says, well, why do I have to believe you? And he said, well, you don't. Let's get a referee. So a referee came out and got a rope and uh, measured it. And dad was away by six inches. And dad made it and uh, Snead missed. And when he congratulated my dad, excuse my language, but he said, you hung my ass with that rope. <laughs> <laughs> now, many years later, I was at Bob Golby's uh, farmhouse in Belleville, Illinois. And I'd gotten in late at night. I was driving from Colonial to Muirfield to Caddy for Jay. And he said, I'll leave the door open for you. Here's where your room is and stuff. And I go down and have breakfast and Sam Sneed's there. Sneed's staying with Bob. So now I'm sitting there. My dad could embellish stories pretty good. So I always kind of took some of them. He was a great storyteller. So the fact is he did beat him in 42 holes. So there was a, had to be some of it was true. So I wanted to figure out if I could get Sneed's version of the story without going, hey, my dad beat you, you know, and yay, <laughs> you know. And uh, <clears throat> so I said, uh, you know, Mr. Sneed, I, you know, my dad used to talk about the match he had with you at Norwood Hills. And, you know, he, he said how lucky he was, you know, he laid you the stymie. I kind of buttered him up a little bit, you know. And he immediately said he was the luckiest SOB he told the exact story that dad told. It was unbelievable. He said, your dad shot 63 or four. He was six up. He went through the whole thing. And then he said, he hung my ass with that rope on the 42nd hole. So the story was, and you know what? It still bothered Sneed when he was telling me the story. He said he was the luckiest SOB in that match when he laid me that, that stymie. And you could tell, see, most players that are really good, they, they'll look back on stuff and they don't like it when they lose, you know, and that's why they're good because it's not acceptable to them. Just when you think about it, what an odd couple, you know, dad, six kids, pretty gregarious club pro, you know, uh, I think my dad revered Hogan, but I think his quirks made my dad laugh where they might've intimidated other people. Dad actually thought a lot of the stuff that Hogan did was so quirky, it was just kind of humorous, you know? And, um, and you probably have heard the story about the dinner, the, the week of the open in 59. They, I think dad's sports psychologist was Johnny Dewars and maybe Hogan's <laughs> with Jack Daniels. And uh, uh, I was eight, you know, we were all there. The boys were there and uh, having dinner. And Hogan said to dad, he said, you, you could play well this week, but you won't. And he said, how come? He said, well, you're a jolly golfer. And he, my dad said, what the hell is a jolly golfer? He said, well, you're going to get out of the car and you're going to see Mr. Williams there. To, when you get out, you're going to ask how his daughter's doing at Princeton and how his son's doing and wherever he's going to school. And dad said, well, you're right. I had those people in my junior clinic. They're part of the fabric of the club and part of the fabric of my life. That's exactly what I'm going to do. He says, well, if they're your friends, they'll leave you alone. My dad said, well, <laughs> he didn't really, you know, what's he supposed to do? So 
he said to Hogan, what am I supposed to do? You know, kind of jokingly. He says, keep your eyes on the ground. Because if you don't make eye contact with someone in a big crowd, they don't feel bad that you didn't say hi to them because they could see you didn't see them, you see. So dad decided to do that during the, the rounds. He didn't do it when he got out of the car and he was going to the range, but he thought, you know, that might be a good thing to do when the tournament starts. So he could have seen some people. So he did do that. And his luck would have it and life would have it. He got paired with Hogan the last round and he beat Hogan by six. So I said to dad one time, I said, you ever needle Mr. Hogan about that jolly golfer BS? He said, you know, Bill, if you're a golf pro, it would uh, behoove you not to needle Ben Hogan about golf. He <laughs> 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 said, no, I, I did not needle him about it. Keep looking I, at I'm the ground. I'm very happy to beat him. <laughs> you talked about your dad shooting 63 in bad weather at Fisher's Island. Mm -hmm. was, was he a good player too in, in those kind of tough conditions? Yeah, because, you know, at Seminole, the wind blew. And dad was one of those guys with the bowed left wrist, which kept the club face shut. He beat down on the ball. He hit the ball quite low. So, uh, you know, the, the 60 that he had at Seminole was 1947. That's never been beaten. And I don't know if the, I think the 61s at Wingfoot haven't been beaten. Never been beaten. So when you think of that, now I know the courses were longer and all that stuff now, but think of the equipment, the conditions, the greens, you know, they were still hitting a lot of woods in the holes back then, even though they were shorter. So um, my dad had the unique ability. He had uh, one of his many theories on golf was that good players start the ball where they want to. And he could really start the ball where he wanted to. He didn't hit a lot of wild shots. I mean, he hit it in the rough and this and that, but he never hit one of the, you know, like a Mickelson shot. I never saw him hit a golf ball like that in my life, even on the range. One that was just off the planet. Yeah. I never really saw him hit what I would call a real, real wild shot. And he had a, such a love for the game. I never saw him get upset on a golf course, which bothered me because I was a club breaker and a club thrower. And, and we were on one West and he had hit a drive and he had a four iron to the green and he hit the worst shot I think I've ever seen him hit. He hit a fat hook that just barely carried that bunker that's 50 yards short of the green. And he casually handed the club to the caddy like nothing happened. And I said, dad, didn't that shot bother you? And he said, did you see it? And I said, yeah. He said, did you think it was a bad shot? I said, yeah, it's the worst shot I've ever seen you hit. So he said, then I don't have to announce it then, do I? <laughs> and I'll tell you who we were playing with. We were playing with Ray Mortel and Bobby Kunz. Yeah. And he said to Ray, Ray, did you see the shot I hit? And Ray said, I did, Claude. Would you say it was a bad shot? Worst shot I've ever seen you hit, said Bobby Kunz. So he said, you see, Bill, why would I have to announce it? See, I don't want to be an announcer. I want to be a golfer. <laughs> he said, now, by the time the ball landed, I'd already figured out the solution because I'm not going to hit another one today. Uh, by the time your ball would have landed with that shot, you'd have been five over after four because you'd carry it to the next three or four holes, you know. And of course, when he'd say those truthful things to me emotionally, I wanted to give him the bird, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but that was a very interesting, that was sports psychology before sports psychology. Never saw him get mad on a golf course. Never in my life did I see my father show any anger on a golf course. Personally. I had the pleasure of shagging 
balls for him when they remember guests. He would go yeah. in this bunker right here. Yeah. Oh, unbelievable, wasn't it? And maybe he did 12 balls in hole two or three. Why was he so good in the bunkers? You know, he he just had a way of figuring things out. Um, and if you remember, he had an uncanny rhythm, which you couldn't teach. You could almost see what he was doing. It was so smooth. You know, it's like you could, you know, Eliza balls quick and fast. You couldn't really see it. Dad, you could kind of see it was uh, like the lazy river, you know. And he just kind of flicked that thing out. Uh, I'll tell you a funny story about that. He's playing a practice round with Hogan and Middlecoff at Augusta. Middlecoff was a notorious bad bunker player. So they got two playing and Middlecoff said to dad, after lunch, will you watch me hit some bunker shots? My dad said, sure. So they took a few steps and Hogan whispered to my dad, don't tell that dumb SOB anything. He may never find out. <laughs> well, <laughs> once again, my dad laughs because he thinks this is funny. He goes, well, Ben, <laughs> you know, I know that you don't teach, but when someone of uh, Carrie's ilk asked me for help, it's quite a compliment, really. So I'm going to, if you don't mind, I'm going to help him, you know. So Hogan said, well, how did you become a great bunker player? <clears throat> and, uh, Dad said, well, it's funny you asked when I was born. I don't know if you guys know this. My dad was deaf in one ear. I had an ear infection and they took out my eardrum when I was a kid. And back then, if you had a bad ear, you couldn't go in the water. I don't know if that's the same thing now. So when his mother and father would take his brother and his sister to the beach, he had learned to play golf caddying at eight, eight years old at a place called Dubstred in Orlando. Yep. He just fell in love with golf. He said, I'd take my sandwich to the beach. So as everybody was swimming, I would just hit balls up and down the beach. And Hogan says, you just proved my point. You figured it out. Let that dumb SOB figure it out. <laughs> he said, you just proved my point, Claude. <laughs> Dad said, yeah, maybe he's got a, but he did give him the lesson. So, but he did have an uncanny and it was different because he didn't cut across it. He, he swung straight. He didn't like the term open the face. He liked the term lay it back. He liked the hands behind the ball, not ahead. So everything he taught back then was different. They're all doing it now, I might add. Uh, many of the great players today have a bowed left wrist, which they thought he was crazy about. And my brother Dick was almost as good as dad, and he had the same kind of weird rhythm. It was You could see it happening. I don't know how to explain it. Uh, you guys have played enough golf, and you caddied and did it. When you saw a really good player, you knew what it was. You might not be able to say why it was great, but you can just tell. They used to recognize say, it. if a guy has a good grip and a good waggle, don't bet him too much. Talked to Billy Casper when we were going to ask him to be an honorary member, and he told us about the Open that the weather was bad. He like. said that it, uh, it was the uh, opposite wind because it was into the wind going out. And he said Hogan hit fairway woods into the first four holes. And he never hit one outside of 25 feet. And he played those four holes and one over. Wow. He said he hit the seven best shots you ever saw in your life. And uh, was one over because the yips had taken over by then, I guess, or <clears throat> they were in full bloom. And, and so dad finished 3-4-3 three, three in 59. Wow. Think about that. Wow. But they were downwind, which makes a big difference. But still, 3-4-3. Three, three. I doubt anybody else finished 3-4-3. Three, a lot of guys in 2006 wish they would have finished 3-4-3. You know, we played um, in November, Craig and Butch and I played Augusta. And uh, 
after dinner one night, we went up into the champion's locker room and uh, we sat by dad's locker and we actually kind of got emotional, you know, thinking that uh, th this year will be dad's 75th anniversary of his win. And we were thinking about how cool it was. Butch is 79, Craig 76, I'm 72. And we're sitting by our dad's locker in the champion's room and we're emotional. And it, we sat there for about two hours and we reminisced. Then another member came in with his three guests and then another member came in. And I don't know, we just got telling stories. And it was like two hours later and uh, I don't think anybody had said a word other than the three of us. And I saw one of the members the next morning and I apologized. I said, God, we kind of took over up there, you know? And the guy said, when my three guests got back to the cottage, they turned to me and said it was the two greatest hours I ever spent in golf. So I can imagine that. Yeah, so it was kind of interesting because um, the next week I went down to the tailor-made place here in Carlsbad to get fitted for clubs and Scotty Scheffler was there. And I don't know Scotty. And I'm uh, just growing up in the family that I grew up in, I've, I've learned to leave celebrities alone. But I actually wanted to tell him the story of us being in that locker room and for him to imagine that his kids that aren't even born yet, 80 years from now, might sit in that locker room by their dad's locker and say, my dad won the masters. Cause you can't imagine that when you're a kid, you know, you can't imagine even what it meant to us. I mean, we got choked up about it. That's a, that's incredible. What I learned here, Billy Regan is that you win a tournament at Augusta, you've got a locker room beyond your life. It's forever, right? Unbelievable. And to think that, um, you know, we sat there and I don't know why the three of us got very choked up. And I mean, it was a beautiful choke up. It wasn't, uh, it, it had great meaning to us. And, and I don't know, we might realize at our age, we might never, you know, be there again, the three of us and stuff. And uh, uh, God, if I played as bad, as, if I played as bad as Craig and Butch played, I wouldn't, I wouldn't take my game to Bonnie Breyer, more or less. Did <laughs> you volunteer? I said, yeah, I just want to be there. So the first day I was a spotter on four West. <laughs> I, I was a starter in the practice rounds. That was cool. Yep. And then I was uh, right behind the green on 10 West on Friday and my replacement didn't come. So I was there for from six in the morning to whenever. Then 14 West, I was right by the green. Then I caddied for Mike Gilmore because he played with Abraham Ancher. Because I saw you. I saw you go Danny out. Lee, six putted the 18th hole and uh, and down the road. And so uh, when, when Mike asked me to caddy, I got in touch with Craig and uh, Butch. You guys wouldn't know this, but dad, dad made a 40-footer on the last hole on that wing foot to finish third, playing with Hogan. And I, I don't know what where came over me, but I told him, I'm going to be on the 18th green tomorrow, and I'm going to go to that, that place. I know where it was, and I'm going to tip my hat to my dad and my mom and Dick. So what a coincidence. You know, I was devastated that I couldn't announce. And then by Sunday, I'm standing where dad made the putt in 1959, and I tip my hat to the three that are no longer with us. And... We went in the, the Mike's office and he says, let's go out and watch uh, the rest of the tournament. 
I said, no, I'm out of here. I, this has been the greatest week of my life. But what just happened out there was so unplanned. You couldn't plan it. But somebody asked me why I came back to volunteer. I said, I didn't come back to volunteer. I came back to say, I love you. And I mean that. I, I came back to Wingfoot in 2020 to say thanks. Because we owe everything to Wingfoot. I'm, Where was the putt on 18? The pin was it. kind of in the middle. Yep. And dad was uh, in the back uh, left, I guess, if you were. Oh. So he had about a 40 footer and had the pin in back then. And uh, the picture I have in my office is the, the ball is about six inches from the hole. And it's taken from the right of the green. So you can see the clubhouse and all the gallery. He's going for the hat. He's doing the early call, you know. <laughs> And so for me to be standing on that green that day, what, what were the, the confluence of events, you know, starts with the networks changed and all this stuff. And, and so I went back there to say, I love Wingfoot. And all of a sudden I'm standing on that green and I get to uh, salute my brother, Dick and my mom and dad. You know, I've said it a million times that if, if Craig would have never hired Paul Harmer in 1941, the only place you'd have ever read our names was in the phone book. Thanks for joining Billy us Casper, today. Billy Harmer. We really appreciate your Double feedback. Indemnity. And please Marky. subscribe to the Two show Ratter. and hit Claude the bell Harmon. icon so you get notified Movie classics. of new episodes. Mark Gable. Hit them hard job. and hit them off. That's 36 holes.